1464, the War of the Roses was raging on. John Neville, a Yorkist, led his men through Northumberland to battle King Henry VI and his Lancastrian forces. It was a decisive Yorkist victory, with many Lancastrian leaders captured and executed. But not King Henry. He managed to escape, and he fled a couple of hours down the road and sought refuge with his mates, the Machels, at Crackenthorpe Hall. While there, he blended in as a gardener, attending to what is now appropriately named the King's Garden. The Machels also gave him their finest room, complete with four poster bed and nearby maid quarters, now called, you guessed it, the King's Bedchamber. There were, and still are, three windows in this room. One of them overlooks the King's Garden, and the other two, well, these days you can't see anything out of them. They are blocked by a false wall. Most, if not all, of the windows facing out front were. Though these were installed a few hundred years after King Henry's stay, they were still there for security. They were still there to keep something out. In the 1600s, the Machels remained dedicated royalists. They supported Charles I in his feud with Oliver Cromwell, and when Cromwell won, Lancelot Machel turned down the position of Mayor of Appleby until Charles was back on the throne. It is with this man, Lancelot Machel, where the story really begins. Before Cromwell came to power on the 30th of November 1643, Lancelot married Elizabeth at St Andrew's Church in Penrith. Despite their resistance to Cromwell's reign, they lived a charmed life in Crackenthorpe Hall. They had three children together, Thomas, Hugh and Susan. Lancelot would even take up the mantle of Mayor of Appleby once Cromwell was deposed. His first act, tearing up Cromwell's Appleby Town Charter. It was a good long life. Was. Because all good things must come to an end. In 1681, Lancelot died peacefully in his sleep. Elizabeth was distraught, but consoled herself with her children and the Crackenthorpe Hall estate she was to inherit. But there's that word again. Was. To Elizabeth's horror, she discovered that she was only to inherit Lancelot's possessions and only a third of them. A third of them she had to share with Thomas and Susan. 
This didn't include the house, which was left to Hugh, the furniture, the silver, the family bible, the valuable portraits, Lancelot's best clothes, which were left to a servant, and the money, which was left to some more servants and Lancelot's daughter-in-law. This burned Elizabeth, and she never forgave Lancelot. In fact, she never forgave the Machel family. So much so that these days we don't know her as Elizabeth Machel. We use her maiden name. We call her Elizabeth Sleddle. Peg to her friends. Peg Sleddle. Peg died nearly two decades after Lancelot. I'm sure she was kept alive by disdain alone, but this anger stretched beyond the grave. Her ghost plagued the Machel family and Crackenthorpe Hall. She became known as the Grey Lady of Crackenthorpe and would be seen riding a cart pulled by six black horses that would burst onto the grounds of Crackenthorpe Hall. From there, her spectral form would infiltrate the house, specifically the King's bedchamber. The Machels would then install the false walls at the windows of the room in an attempt to ward off Peg, but if there's one thing ghosts are known for, it's going through walls as if they weren't there. In her calmer moments, Peg could be seen weeping beneath the oak tree outside the hall. Many said this was Peg expressing regret over the curse she was inflicting upon the Machels, but a pattern soon emerged from these sightings. Any time Peg was seen crying under the oak, tragedy would befall the Machel family. Eventually, Peg grew too troublesome for the remaining Machels and the other locals to ignore. Fear was at a fever pitch, so they made a decision. They were going to dig up Peg Sleddle's body and exorcise the demon. So one summer evening in the early 1700s, they plucked her body from the churchyard and took it to a part of the River Eden that was running low. There, they dug a hole and dumped Peg's body inside. This hole was then filled in and covered with a huge boulder brought all the way from Shap. This was done for two reasons. First, both 
running water and being fixed to the earth were things supposed to quell a demon. And second, boulders are heavy, innit? The locals also gathered a troop of Catholic priests to perform rites, believing Latin to be the most effective language in exorcisms, but their efforts weren't entirely successful. The incantations could apparently hold her back, but they couldn't keep her back. The priests decreed that Peg Sliddle shall be damned to her watery grave for 999 years, because they apparently only had room for three digits, but they made a mistake. Whether they got the wrong type of demon or the wrong incantations, we don't know, but what it meant was that Peg Sleddle would be allowed to walk free once a year. Essentially, Peg must have been round, because she wasn't settling in her square hole. I know, I know graves are rectangular, but just, just go with it, yeah? So when do you come out if you're only allowed out once a year? You hit the beaches in July, the rinks come December, the pubs, anytime. Peg favours September, which happens to be a month of strong winds in the area. But maybe that's not so coincidental, maybe the two are connected. the helm wind, they call it. It blows from the northeast, reaching about three miles down the Pennines, but it can be heard for miles more. In Crackenthorpe, however, they tell a different story. That there is no helm wind, only the cry of anguish and the rush of speed emanating from Peg Sleddle and her coach pulled by those six black horses. This might be something obviously woven into the local folklore, but when you add everything together, about pegs led only being allowed out once a year, about a cart and horses, it makes a compelling tale. Along with the fact that there are no accounts of the helm wind before the beginning of the 18th century. First account from 1709, a few years after Peg Sleddle died. The ghost of Peg Sleddle has only been sighted a few times since she was exhumed and laid in the bed of the River Eden. In 300 odd years, 
we've only had 300 odd chances of witnessing her. One of those sightings came at the end of the 18th century. One Brockham Dick of the Elephant Inn reported seeing not only Peg on her horse pulled carriage, but a coachman, complete with tricorn hat and black boots. The next recorded sighting wouldn't be until 1915, in the midst of World War I, when a wounded soldier who had returned home witnessed the carriage adorned with flaming torches speed down the road and into the woods towards Crackenthorpe Hall. This small path through the woods is now known as Peg Sleddle's Trough. So why is Peg Sleddle here? Why did she begin to haunt the Machel family? Those looking for a logical answer might say guilt. A family tormented by the ousting of their matriarch, wanting to do it but knowing full well that it wasn't the right thing to do. And then their story spreads, and the butcher swears he witnessed it then the baker, then the candlestick maker. That's law. And her infrequent appearances explained away with the convenient fumbled exorcism, meaning she's only allowed out once a year when a handy gale blows into town, creating a hellish soundscape. But there's always going to be that voice, that warning that maybe she's real. That voice obviously got to the family living there in the 1970s. Remember the false walls blocking the view for every front-facing window of the hall? Well, they removed them all. All except one. Well, two, actually. The two in the king's bedchamber. So if she is real, then she's after the Machel family. The family that betrayed her at the end of her life in a way that she could never forgive. She won't stop until all the Machel family are gone. If you do see her, even if your surname isn't Machel, I wouldn't stop and ask for a ride. She's heading towards Penrith and no one wants to go there. But maybe she won't be seen again. Maybe her job is done. Because there is one more sighting I didn't mention. The most recent sighting. It actually came in the same year as our injured soldiers, 1915. Peg was apparently spotted weeping beneath the oak tree outside Crackenthorpe Hall. By this point, it was difficult for tragedy to befall the Machel family as there was only one of them left. We're not sure of his name, but we can probably refer to him as Private Machel. Yeah, in 1915 he was off fighting the war 
and he never made it home. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Folklore of Cumbria cast. I'd like to thank my sources, the books Walks in Mysterious North Lakeland by Graham K. Dugdale and Deeper Than Indigo, Tracing Thomas Machel, Forgotten Explorer by Jenny Balfour-Paul. Also Kev McVeigh for his article A Cumbrian Tale, some of which is true, told indirectly, and the blog site Esmeralda's Cumbrian History and Folklore. For the music, I use Shane Ivers at uh, www.silvermansound.com. I'll probably be using that a lot, so thank you. Details are in the description. Finally, thank you once again for listening. And if you are listening to this 999 years after the reburial of Peg Sleddle, keep your eyes and ears peeled. As Graham K. Dugdale puts it, Should the helm wind choose to stir up a baying lament, do not be surprised to witness a coach and six sweeping out from the secluded entrance to Crackenthorpe Hall with Peg Sleddle in the driving seat.